Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 15. I didn't see the end of the real estate coming. So at that age, at 21, 22, owning a company and doing well, I had everything I thought I needed. And when that collapsed, so did everything. I went from having everything to where my car was in repossession. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott, co host of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, here with my amazingly awesome and beautiful co host and wife, Miss Carol Aww. Scott. That was so sweet. Thank you, honey. How are you doing today, Carol Scott? I'm a little tired. I was up at, um, I actually, I have to, I have to confess, I slept in today. I didn't get up until 3.30. I'm slacking. 3.30 a.m. or p.m.? Are you kidding me? You've known me for 12 years. Clearly, we're at 3.30 a, which is better than three. I, I, I can empathize. I was up early this morning, too, I think. Oh, my, my, were you up at nine? No, no. I was up at 830 this morning. Oh, I, I, yeah. I'm feeling really bad for you there, darling. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired, really but, but I won't complain. Yeah. Good, good strategy, my friend. So we have a really great show today. But before we jump into the show, uh, I know there's some people out there who may be interested in being a guest on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Yeah, we want you or some of the people in your network. So if you would like to be on our show, if you'd like to be considered or know someone else who would be great, go to biggerpockets.com slash bizguest. That's B-I-Z-G-U-E-S-T, biggerpockets.com slash bizguest. We'd love to hear what you're all about and see if you could be someone we could talk to. Awesome. Now, let's get into our show. We have a really awesome show today. We have a guy on the show. His name is Max Maxwell. For those who aren't familiar, Max is a real estate wholesaler. And for you non-real estate folks out there, we will talk about what a real estate wholesaler does. But Max has built a real estate investing business. He's doing upwards of $100,000 a month in income. He's built this business by putting in place systems, processes, hiring virtual assistants. Basically, he's put his real estate business on autopilot. And a lot of the tips that he gives today talks about not just how to put a real estate business on autopilot, but how to put any business on autopilot. And if you stick around towards the end of the interview, he gives some really good tips on negotiating and a whole lot of other great stuff. So this is a fantastic show. I'm really excited to jump into this. So without any further ado, let's bring on Mr. Max Maxwell. Welcome to Mr. Max Maxwell. How you doing, Max? I'm doing well, sir. How you doing? I am doing great. We are thrilled to have you here. Hi, Max. Thanks so much for coming on with us today. I appreciate being here. This is awesome. Honey, how excited are you to have Max Maxwell? This is awesome. So I have listened to a lot of your podcasts. I've listened to some interviews you've done and you've really figured out, and and we're going to talk about this in the episode, but you've really figured out the systems, the processes, the scaling of your business. And I know Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are looking to do the same thing. So I'm really excited about this episode. Me too, man. Can I tell you what else I'm excited about? Honey, have you seen Max Maxwell's signature? It is the coolest signature. It could totally be this freestanding brand. I just want it splashed across shirts and everywhere. Have you seen this? It's amazing. I have it's like not this seen cool. this. We will it's make like sure that cool goes in the show notes. Thing. Awesome. My signature is really cool too. Yes, Jay, you have a great your signature, signature is ridiculous. It's like, My signature certainly needs some more. Chicken X. It's totally lame. Max rocks the signature situation. Okay. Funny, funny story about that though, but we'll yeah. talk about it later. Okay. Perfect. So I want to start out with, so we have a really diverse audience. So we have a whole lot of real estate investors in our audience, but we also have a lot of people who aren't real estate investors. They're more generic business people or or they're getting ready to start businesses outside of real estate. 
You are one of our hardcore real estate business owners and guests. So before we jump into your backstory and, and our business discussion, can you get a little, give us a little bit of information about your specific business niche? So you're a real estate wholesaler, and I know there are going to be some people who are listening to this that don't know what wholesaling is. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about what wholesaling is, what exactly that means? Yeah, I mean, it's really no different than wholesaling groceries or wholesaling cars or anything like that. We just decide to use real estate because the margins are a lot better and uh, everybody needs a house. But but particularly, we get something, a house, under contract at a certain price, and we either try to sell that contract or purchase it and sell it pretty much quickly right after we purchase it. So basically, buying something low and selling it higher, and we don't even deal with the retail side met much. It's more of end-to-end, business-to-business, where we're selling directly to guys that are flipping properties or guys that are holding properties uh, for personal investment purposes. So you're basically playing the middleman. You're buying low, selling high, and just kind of doing an arbitrage play where you're making some money for the services you bring to both the seller and the buyer. I mean, in any business, and I think the way the world is going right now, the middleman is the guy that actually makes the most money. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for that. Great. So am I understanding correctly that you have managed to systematize your business to the point where you're making something like you're bringing in $100,000 each and every month wholesaling? At least, yeah. That's fantastic. I'm sure, I'm guessing that didn't happen overnight. So before we go into how you got there, I think this is really important that we hear your backstory, right? I'm guessing mm-hmm. you had a first job at some point in your life. I, and maybe yeah. it was wholesaling house. I have a feeling it's not. So give us a little bit of backstory. Where, show us where the entrepreneurialism came from, Max. Well, I don't know where it was born from, but I know like, you know, my uncle who used to own real estate and he would show me around and I never understood how he owned so many houses. And ever since I was just young, like it was it was a way of making your own money was going out at a young age. You know, I have immigrant parents, so that come from a very hardworking background of, of, of you know, thread of parents. And it just kind of was in me. But my first real job on the books outside from when I was younger. So when I was younger, before... I had my first official job. I worked at a tree farm. I did concrete, hard labor. Like it, it was fun though. My next door neighbor owned a concrete company and I was able to work with him in the summer so I can buy my jet skis or whatever I wanted nice. to play with on the lake. But my first job, job where I actually collected money in W-2 was the United States Air Force at 17 years old. Awesome. Do you fly planes? I actually do fly planes now, but I was not a pilot in the Air Force. I actually learned how to fly maybe three years ago now. Oh, awesome. You do it recreationally as a hobby? Yeah, just uh, small, small towns, four-seater planes, just fly whenever I can. So this dude's got jet skis, he's got airplanes, <laughs> you've got the life, man, you've got this figured out. I love and, it. And, no, and, and notice, he, uh, notice, tell us a little bit about that booth you're standing in now. You were just telling us before the show started. Yeah, so last year when I decided that content was a very important part inside of being a media, of being an entrepreneur... I decided to invest into a 5,000 square foot warehouse. It was actually 13,000, but we took 5,000 of it and made it into a um, like a studio. So we have a 20 by 20 psych wall, two podcast rooms, a set design area, a uh, edit bay. Pretty much I can do, I can run a news broadcasting center out of here only because I understand that each company that I own and participate in has to be a media outlet themselves. So I just invested that myself. That's awesome. I'm going to get back to that. Okay. So let's go back to your story. You're in the Air Force. What's next? I was in the Air Force. I did my first four years and decided this wasn't for me. Getting shot at for 20 grand wasn't really that fun. So <laughs> can't imagine it would be. Not I quite met, living the dream. Yeah. I, I met some good people, some people that are friends now still with me, you know, but, you know, I, I wanted to do something different. And I got out and actually I went right into real estate. And this was around 2004, 2005. And I got a real estate license as a broker and decided that was fun for the first year and a half. And then I decided that wasn't cool either. What about um, it wasn't cool? I didn't, I didn't like driving people around on Saturdays and Sundays to buy a house that they never were intended to buy. Right. I hear you. Um, it, it was a job. It was a terrible job. I enjoyed it. I love what I learned. And I think that's the lesson. Everything that I did, I learned something that got me where I am today. And so I loved that real estate side. And then I opened up a property management investment company and I enjoyed that better. I enjoyed the numbers. I enjoyed finding something that was less value turned into something that was worth more and then making an investment property for somebody. 
So uh, flipping houses. Well, I, I really, I was doing the management side of it, but then I found one big guy that wanted me to actually assist him with flipping some of his properties. And I was kind of wholesaling and not really knowing what wholesaling was, but I was finding houses that were broken, fixing them, and then giving it to him as an investment portfolio property. Got it. So you started in real estate 2004, 2005, and that's mm-hmm. kind of been your main business focus for the last uh, 14 years? No. Oh, no. there's more no. to the story. There's more. Yeah, 2008 happened and I thought real estate was dead. I left. I got out of the game. And I didn't re- I didn't come back. To- I left in about 2008 when I moved to California and I didn't pick up real estate again until 2015, 16. Wow. I so- want to go back to that. To obviously we know we know we all know what happened back in 2008 yeah. on a mass level, right? But I love hearing those nitty gritty stories. Was there a single incident or a single week or a single month or a single something that was just so bad for you personally, so bad for you in real estate, so bad for you in your business with that was like, I am so out of here. What was the straw that broke that camel's back? Yeah. Big mistake. About 90% of my business was from one guy. It was a $13.5 million portfolio, all North Carolina property. So we're not in California. So $13.5 million in property is a lot of property out here in North Carolina. So I managed his entire portfolio. He was 90 plus percent of my business and he seen the ball coming down the hill and he started selling. So I remember the day that he wanted to start dumping his portfolio. And that was the day I had to start laying people off that were on-site managers at department complexes and stuff like that. And it was just like, wow, we're, we're going downhill. No fun. Some really hard lessons learned there, right? (laughs) A lot of of people don't realize. I mean, you can have the best customer in the world generating a ton of money for you. But when you are relying on one customer, that customer has control over your business. You no longer have control over your business. I didn't realize it at the time. But like I said, these lessons built who I am today. That's awesome. Okay, so Ed. I was just going to say lessons built who you are today. And that said, we always like to, we love to talk about our failures, right? Even if it's nothing that we personally did intentionally, obviously that was a failure. There are are failures, I think, every single day. We have a mini failure. We have bigger macro failures. And and I want to get more into some of those later as we're Mm -hmm. talking more, but I think they're so crucial to building your business and not being afraid to try new things and just fail the heck out of all kinds of situations so you get new ones going on. Absolutely. I'm with that. So 2008, your one big customer kind of goes away and you realize I have to move out of real estate. What was your, what was your next move? I didn't know. I went from riding a high horse, at least what I thought was a high horse at that time, to pretty much broke because I was living above my means. I didn't see the end of the real estate coming. So, you know, at that age, at 21, 22, owning a company and doing well, I, got, I had everything I thought I, I needed. And when that collapsed, so did everything. I went from having everything to where my car was in repossession. What was everything, Max? Tell us, what was that lifestyle? What was what, what, what kind of lifestyle were you living at 21? I can travel on, a, I could take one-way flights to New York and go shopping and, and not worry about the day I was coming back. Um, I had multiple cars all on payments, which was stupid. I had, uh, I had, I had more fun than I worked. And uh, it it caught up to me. (laughs) And it was all at once. It was boom, game over, right? Game Game over. over. What'd you do? Where'd you go? I packed up and moved to California, went to go sleep on my cousin's couch. Um, He played professional soccer in in LA. And I just was like, I need a new beginning. So I went over there and lived for a little while. And then I started working in the marketing world. And that's kind of where I started to really find what I really loved was marketing. At the end of the day, most of our businesses, you you have to market and sell in order to survive. So I started doing what we call experiential marketing activations and setups for big companies like Verizon, Charboil, uh, Hershey's, Legos, and started doing their their activations and setting up their stuff and organizing their their marketing for their experiential side of things. What is the experiential side of things? What are we talking? Give me an example from one of those companies you're talking about. Yeah. So it's like a couple of things. Uh, you can go as large as for Verizon. What we did was they had a sponsorship with college football and we did the, their activations at the games. So we would have, we would organize, okay, there's X amount of games this year. We're going to deploy X amount of people with tents and new vehicles and show off your branding, show off new products 
all that type of stuff. So that all the way to state fairs, to conventions and conferences, the large ones, all these guys had sponsorships. So we would we would be their experiential side, their experience side with their customer. Great. So it sounds like you are getting in front of a lot of people, building relationships with a lot of people, building rapport with a lot of people yeah. to ultimately activate those customers. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. I'm capturing that correctly. So how did you take that and translate it into your next move? So my next move was I realized a big funnel in this world. We would deploy, we would have a $14 million budget from Verizon and we would go from state fair to college football games. And we needed what they call brand ambassadors to work that weekend event. And we were hiring them from Craigslist. No kidding. And Facebook groups. So it was, you had this $14 million budget and then you're hiring people from Craigslist to represent a a billion dollar brand. And that was a bottleneck. So I created a company called FASPA, which means Fast Brand Ambassador. And it was a tech, it was an app where it was a marketplace app where essentially where we would go sign up all the brand ambassadors in the world and we would go get all the marketing companies that needed on-demand staffing and we would merge them and make the price in the middle. Once again, trying to be in the middle. Mm -hmm. And we would earn between... Two and four dollars an hour over thousands of employees every single weekend. And we got the app about 95% built, was in beta testing, and we couldn't get funding in North Carolina. So all of my money, all of my credit cards, I'm ex- I'm all out now. Again. How much did you have invested in that project? I think personally I had around thirty thousand dollars, which was a lot oh. of money to me. And then I had wow. another sixty thousand in investments from outside investors. So we were at ninety thousand dollars which wasn't nowhere not the right amount of money to build an app. And then we fail and I hit rock bottom again. And you're in your mid twenties at this point, right? I am. I am pushing 30. You're pushing 30. Pushing 30. You're getting really old. You're getting like, you're getting ancient. Social security is about to kick in. All of it, all of it to mega failures. You're almost 30. Oh no. End of the world. Yeah. I thought it was. How are you feeling that time around? You're like, oh my gosh. It felt like it. I was at a point where once again, I didn't have a, I didn't even have a car that had a payment on good. good thank God. I had a 2004 Volkswagen with a bad starter. And at 30 years old, I had to move back in home with my mom. Okay. And so you went from living with your, on your cousin's couch to, to being to, on your mom's couch. How's your mom like that? How is how is your mom feeling about the whole situation? The mom and me's got to ask. How do you cope with that? Well, I my, my my mom was happy to see me, right? Because I've been gone for so long. I really come on home, honey. Yeah, I really left home at seventeen. You. I'll make you cookies. There you go. You know, she's she's a Jamaican <laughs> mother, so she loves to cook food. Um, but you know, there was a point where I I lived in my I went rock bottom. I went to go live on my cousin's couch in L.A. Uh, I got, I built myself back up, riding back a high horse, quit a nice paying W-2 job, just create a company, create that company. I hit rock bottom again, and now I have to go back to a, a couch. Well, not a couch, but my mother's house. So, and there I'm at bottom again. So Max, why, why didn't you just get a job? Why do you keep starting companies? Why don't you just go, like, why don't you just go work a job, dude? I'm like, a, how hard is this? I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> something in me. I think that's a question that a lot of people can't, I'm just unemployable. You know, I, I, I don't fit the mold of what, where I should be. Like, I don't, I didn't go to college. I barely graduated high school. So if you look at my resume, I don't fit in where I'm actually capable of doing. Like I can, I can turn companies around, but my resume doesn't say so. So I want to touch on something and I saw it in your backstory, uh, doing some research. You had mentioned that you're dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Big time. And so I imagine that that's caused struggles throughout your life as well and and made things difficult. One of the things I've found is that people who have these struggles that are thrust upon them, whether it's a learning disability or it's a something in their in their childhood, whatever it is, they're forced to take a path where they're not following the rules and they get accustomed to not following the rules. And Essentially, we as entrepreneurs, that's what we are. We're people who don't want to follow the rules. And I, I found rules? that- Exactly. <laughs> rules? Exactly. I think, I think I've heard of that word. And, and so the reason I bring up the dyslexia thing is I have a good friend, one of the best entrepreneurs I know, and he's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And he once said to me that if he hadn't have had dyslexia, had he gone, done well in high school, gone to college, zero chance he would have been an entrepreneur. He'd be sitting in an office right now behind a desk working a nine to five job. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is these struggles that we face 
oftentimes give us opportunities that normal people don't yeah. get or they don't take advantage of. So, so they're really a blessing in disguise. I agree 100%. It, it gave me, a, I had a weakness on one side, but it gave me a strength on the other side. Yep. And dyslexic, for most people that don't know, is I, I see numbers and letters backwards. I, you can clearly tell me, I can literally read something on the screen. And when I say it, it's, I say it backwards. So one thing I, I do, I picked up when I was younger, I found out I was dyslexic in high school. But one thing I picked up is I actually read people's lips. So whenever you're talking to me and if you're face to face, you'll notice that I'm staring at your mouth. I can literally see the words coming out of your mouth, like literally in physical form. I can see them come out of your mouth and it helps me like get the conversation straight. Because if not, I will hear things that you didn't say in sense of like in order. And, and you know what I love? I love the fact that a lot of people I, we could be talking to right now would be, they would have started their story with, I was dyslexic and that's an excuse for this, an excuse for that. You don't even mention it. I nope, mean, you, not yeah. even a thing. You, you, you have this, it doesn't define you. Yeah, something, something that would stop a lot of us from even trying to mm-hmm. achieve business success. And you don't even mention it like it's not a big deal. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I don't mention it because I don't think about it. It's something I bring up and I told people because I know there's other people out there that struggle with it that really don't like to tell. I didn't read my first book till I was 30. Dyslexia stopped that. You know, it, it, it made me, I did not read a book from cover to cover till I was 30 years old, right? So that was four years ago. And I, I think that's good and bad. I, I mean, I, I love it though. I, I think it's great that I didn't read my first book till 30 because when I read it, I was ready to receive the information that was in it. And that book changed my life. That's that is awesome. What was the book? We've got to know. <laughs> it's cliche, but it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That story right. in the book gave yep. me the idea that I, w- it gave me the thought that I was thinking about everything the wrong way. Okay. So you shifted your mindset because of that book. Yeah. It was just like, Hey, look at the different, look at things different. And when I did, it made me click. So with all my past failures and experiences and then reading that book, it started to have me piece things together and look, stop looking at the failures as failures and as lessons. Sure. So it almost gave you, it almost gave you permission, right? To, to like take those experiences, those quote unquote failures you had before, look at them in a different way and be like, wait a minute here. I'm just going to take that shift my mindset about how this is happening and rock out a new thing. There you go. So what was the new thing? Uh, real estate. Yes. (laughs) And I was broke. I didn't have any money. So a friend of mine, uh, his dad is in real estate and I went to his house. We were having a conversation and he was talking about how he became financially independent through real estate. And for me, it was still didn't click because it was like, how can I get there? I'm not bankable. I'm not financeable. How does this happen? And he mentioned the word wholesaling and how you can pretty much sell things without actually owning the object, but controlling it without any money. And I was like, so I went home in three weeks, I went to YouTube University and I call YouTube University is just like you become obsessed with something, right? You can use YouTube for two things. You can go down a dark hole of craziness <laughs> with cat videos, or you can use it to literally get a quick lesson from Harvard uh, that quick. Absolutely. I mean, there's actually Harvard videos on there, classroom videos on YouTube. There are. There's everything. I tell, I tell, I'm, I may interrupt you, but I, I tell so many I hate to date myself, but I tell so many like younger people and stuff. And I'm like, you are all born into this amazing, amazing, amazing time. Like I listen to Jay's 94 year old grandmother tell me all the time. She's like, you have no idea. I can't comprehend any of this. And I'm like, well, you know what? I can't comprehend everything that's happened even even over the past 10 years. There's, there are just so many incredible tools and resources available now. So it's awesome that you were able to dive in there and graduate from YouTube University and really get educated on this new venture. There's really no excuse not to be able to uh, to get started in anything you want to get started in. And I, th- I think that's, that's the lesson here, that um, there's enough free information out there that people don't need to go to business school. People don't need to have a business mentor. People don't need to spend a ton of money on coaches. Yeah. Uh, just go get started. Go do it. And I think that's the main thing because so – why I tell people that you don't need a mentor? And I don't mean you don't ever need a mentor because I have of mentors. Of course. I mean, you don't need a mentor to get started because people use that barrier of, oh, I need a coach. I need a mentor to not do anything. When reality is 
you just need to know the first step. Don't worry about step 10. Get going. And I learned how to drive for dollars, which is simply riding around and looking for abandoned properties and finding the owner and calling them and see if they want to sell it. Absolutely. And that costs nothing except for a tank of gas. Absolutely. And that's that's how you started your wholesaling business. Yes, you just started getting, you got in your car, started driving for dollars. That's how I started. I went into an old neighborhood. Okay, so now a lot of people in this business, in the wholesaling business, I meet a lot of wholesalers, and they get to the point where they're doing a deal a month or two deals a month or even three or four deals a month, and they are ecstatic. They mm-hmm. feel like they've made it. They, they're, they're, they're maxed out. They're maybe working 20, 30, 40, 60 hours a week, and they're just like, I made it. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep making money, and, and that's what they do forever. At some point, you decided this isn't enough. I need to grow this business. I need to turn it, I need to take it from a hobby or or kind of this, this investing thing I'm doing and turn it into a real business to scale it. Mm-hmm. So what was it in you that that kind of led you down that path to, I want to turn this into a real business? And what did you start doing to, to achieve that? So one of my mentors, that, that the one that actually introduced me or just said the word wholesaling, he told me to have a goal because what, what I, the, part, the picture I first seen is that he owns over 200 doors and he's and he doesn't have to be he doesn't he doesn't need anything he can be done and just relax for the rest of his life and he gave me a statistic how if 100 people start working at the age of 25 by the time they turn 65 only 1% are considered wealthy which is like 5.7 million dollars in net worth 4% can take care of themselves right that means they don't need social security they don't need any government assistance and the other 95% either dead or depend on friends, family, or government assistance to live. It, it's, it's horrible. Staggering. <laughs> so that, that statistic tells you that I need to build wealth. Yes, a, wholesaling is an ATM machine. It's just a job. It, wholesaling, yes, I have a business, but it starts over every month at zero, right? Yes. Um, so I need to learn how to build wealth. So he told me, look, you need to put goals in. You're doing a lot of volume. You need to start buying properties and getting the tax benefit of that and then start cre- creating that passive income. Right now you have a very active income. And yes. that's when he said, come up with a goal. For every seven houses you wholesale, buy one. And that's how we started last year. And it's just become a, a rippling effect. So basically your wholesaling business is the the feeder to your wealth building business, which is your your rental properties. My wholesaling business is a very high paying W-2 job that I don't know how long it will last, but if I'm smart with it and with the money that it brings, then I can create passive wealth for a long time. You're trading your right. time for dollars. And as soon as you stop putting in your time, you stop getting the dollars. And there you go. That's, that's where the rental properties come in. You put in the time, the effort once and, and the dollars just pay an annuity forever and ever. Correct. So I would like to know, Max, back when you were when you were really doing this by yourself, take us through a typical deal, right? Take us through what that process looked like, maybe even what some of those numbers look like. Mm-hmm. And that so start with that and then build up to how you shifted things, how things changed and systematized so you could begin growing. So go back to that when you were doing it by yourself, what that what one of those deals look like, how that worked. Yeah. So typically, so I, I'll go back to my first deal. We bought a house. I put a house under contract. Let me say that. I put a house under contract with the intention to buy and then sold my sold my uh, equitable interest for $14,000. And I that was my proof that this is real. And so I started doing that by myself on a regular. And what that looked like on a day-to-day is I would make 200 phone calls every single day, 100 in the in the morning and 100 in the afternoon and the evening. You, yeah. you yourself would make 200 phone calls in a day. On my cell phone. How, uh, ah, that makes my head hurt thinking about that. How many How many hours a day were you realistically working making those 200 phone calls? So in the morning time, I would start like 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, start making phone calls, right? Because I want to catch certain people before they get to work. Certainly. Right? And then, so I did that all the way till like 11 because I want to catch people when they're wa- when they're watching Prices Right and all that stuff as well. <laughs> and then between like 12 and 2, I would do my research. And that's why I would spend my time at the courthouse, in the probate, in the taxes. And I was really educating myself and really putting the pieces of the puzzle of problems because we're in a problem-solving business. So I needed to find out where the problems were. So I was in the divorce room, in the probate's room, in the bankruptcy rooms, trying to figure out 
What problems can I solve? And that's when I started collecting data between the time of like 12 and 2. And then after 2, I would come home, compress this data, put it on Excel sheets to be skipped out at night when I was sleeping. And started at around 5 o'clock. I would call from like 5 p.m. to 8.30 at night. And that's where I would do my 100 there, 100 there. Now, do I talk to talk to 200 people a day? No, I would probably reach around 40 people a day, right? 30 to 40 people a day, whether they told me to go kick rocks or yes, I'm interested in selling the house. As long as I got 40 people that owned a property on the phone that said no, yes or no, I was happy because I started to build up this pipeline. And as I consistently did that, I started to realize I was building this pipeline and then I would get callbacks and then the follow-ups came where I would call somebody that I talked to three weeks ago that said maybe or that they would think about it. I would call them now and they would be more inclined. And then another conversation in two days and then the next day and then, oh, an appointment and then, oh, I got this house. So it would work like that in succession. So I was working when I first got my first check and I started working like crazy. I actually had to wear night a night guard in my mouth. Because I did not want to go to sleep. It was I was dreaming and and gritting my teeth at night, wanting to I wanted 7:30 to hit so fast so I could start making phone calls again for the next day because I knew that one yes was like 10 grand. And I was getting shot at for twenty thousand dollars a couple years ago. So you gotta understand the difference is that I can make a phone call <laughs> for 10 or get shot at for 20. I think kind I'm kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is a common theme uh, among the guests that we're talking to. It, it really is, it's about consistency. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a saying in in business and entrepreneurship: 90% of success is just showing up. And it's it's amazing how doing the same thing day in and day out, the first day no results. Second day, no results. Third day, no results. I I often tell people, I meet two types of people in the real estate business. I meet 95% of people who they've never done a deal and they'll never do a deal. I mean, zero deals. That's that's their their reality in real estate. The other 5% are going to do 10, 20, 50, 100, 1,000 deals. I never meet anybody in this business that does one deal. Because if you have the motivation, if you have the work ethic, if you have the commitment Mm -hmm. to do one deal, that deal is going to take you a while. But as soon as you do that first deal, you're going to get to the second much quicker. You're going to get to the third, to the fifth, to the 50th or the hundredth that much quicker. And so I, I think you said this a lot more concisely than I did, but it's really, it's just showing up doing the work day in and day out and letting the snowball form and not giving up before it does. Correct. And and that's why I say you're one deal away. I use that term a lot. Love and that. It, and it means that you're not going to gain financial freedom from that first deal, but you're going to prove to yourself and maybe others that have been doubting you that this is real. And you are now going to try to do this over and over again, make it repeatable. And now you changed everything you knew about time and money for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Yes. That's, that's really good. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Small business owners wear a lot of hats. And while some hats are really great, others like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, yeah, not so great. So that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can even get direct access to certified HR experts, too. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. You can do it in less than 10 minutes. And if you're thinking, oh, I already work with tools like, say, QuickBooks. Well, get this. Gusto can integrate with those platforms so you can keep everything in one place all online. So listen up for this offer. Because you listen to Bigger Pockets Business, you get three months free when you run your first payroll on Gusto. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business. Again, that's gusto.com slash BPB. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. 
Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Okay. So, so you're doing deals now and you've realized I can make $10,000 a deal. I can make $14,000 a deal like you did on your first deal. And at some point you decide that's not enough. I don't want to make 200 calls a day, even though I might be making 10 or 20 or $30,000 a month. That's not enough for me. I need to do something different. I want to do more. I want to do bigger. And so what did that look like to you? When did you, when did that kind of that mindset set in that that I can scale this thing. Yeah, so that's when I kind of started my YouTube channel and I wanted to hold myself accountable. So the first thing after reading books and listening to podcasts, because during this whole time, I'm still educating myself because I don't know anything. I really don't know anything. I just know enough to where I made some few dollars. I started educating myself and the first, I heard somebody say, I don't know who it is, so I don't know who to give credit, but they said, fire yourself from something that you don't like to do or you're not that great at. And I fired myself from collecting the data right and and doing the excel sheet and 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 all that stuff. So at first hire I had was a remote employee from the Philippines, which I lucked up on. She's still with me today. And she did all my excel, all my data collection from online and everything and did it while I was sleeping so that when I wake up in the morning, I no longer had to do that before I got started making the phone calls. When I wake up, I can now start dialing Great. And I think that's, I want to touch on that a little bit more for all people in any type of business, right? I think it's, you said something that your, your coach or your mentor told you that you said was fire yourself from something you're not good at. Would you agree? And, and honey, do, I, I know you and I still, still to this day, even with all of our businesses, everything that we've done, we still struggle with this. As, as people, it's sometimes just hard to identify and admit there are some things I'm just not good at, right? You even remember back in the day when we started business together? You, you tell me all the stuff I'm not good at all the time. Oh, I'm so good at telling you all the stuff you're not good at. I'll tell you that all day long. But you remember back in the day when we started our businesses, right? Like you remember when we would just, I would do something and then you would decide you're just as good at that. So you would redo it. And then I'd go in and then I would redo what you just redid and, you know, back and forth. And it turns out neither of us were good at it. <laughs> and neither of us were good at what we weren't good at, but we just had a hard time realizing that was the case. Yeah. So I think it's, it's I just think it's super important, no matter what type of mis- business that you're in, realizing there are things that you just are not a pro at mm-hmm. and figuring out a way to supplement that. And it sounds like you supplemented that with your assistant in the Philippines who crunches your data. Yeah. And, and one thing I would say is before you completely outsource it, at least understand it, understand it enough to where you can teach it. Um, because if not, you're just passing through chaos, right? Just because you hire somebody that is supposed to crunch your data doesn't mean they know how to do it exactly the way you want it or were doing it prior. So, sure. so learn it. Don't got to be good at it, but learn it. I know what know what it's about. Where did you find your person? Where do, where do people find these people <clears throat> once once they do learn what needs to be happening? Where do they find the people? I who do found it? my virtual assistant on Upwork. Upwork. Okay. And she turned out to be a rock star. She was actually like the hiring manager at a large call center in the Philippines. And then from that day forward, anytime I needed a new person on the team, she would go out and hire them. So that's a great process within a process (laughs) right there. So while you're building out your systems and processes, you are systematizing and process it. You're systematizing your processes around hiring more people through your virtual assistant that you got through Upwork. So you're at this point, you're really realizing the value in systematizing everything to scale. Mm -hmm. So I, 
at this point now, I've fired myself from collecting the data. And now I can focus on doing things in those three hours in the day where I was going to collect data, three to four hours. I am now doing more marketing, whether that's on Craigslist, on Facebook. We started putting out bandit signs and the bandit signs started a in-call volume, right? So now I'm getting calls that I can't even answer. I'm starting to like filter my customers through listening to their voicemail if they're motivated or not. So I said, I'm blowing a lot of money here. I need a full-time person that answers the phone. So I call Alexis, which is my first uh, virtual assistant. And I said, I need somebody that answers the phones and I'm going to train them. She got the person. Her name is Laika. She's still with me today. And all my inbound calls come through Laika. And she is so trained now. She probably does it better than I do. She enters the data through Podio and then she passes it to my US-based team that then picks up the ball and moves from there. But at that point, I now freed myself from answering the phones, and we now had a process where we can now collect the data in a CRM so that we can follow up more importantly because the money's in the follow-up in any business. That's right. And now we're rocking and rolling even better. And now the beautiful part here is you've trained somebody to deal with your data. You've trained somebody to take your leads. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to take 200 calls in a day if you wanted to. Not saying you want to, but maybe Mm -hmm. you can take 200 calls in a day. Or you can hire somebody to take 200 calls in a day, or you hire three people and take 600 calls in a day, or you hire 100 people and take 10,000 calls in a day, whatever it is. Exactly. It becomes a numbers game. So guess what the next place I fired myself from? I no longer wanted to make these calls every day. I just wanted to go to the appointments. So now I hired, Alexis hired Paul, which is still with me today. And he now makes 600 calls a day because we use technology Right. He's a triple line dialer and all that stuff like that. So now his sole focus nine hours a day is to do outbound calls that sometimes turn into inbound calls, which Leica answers. So now all I'm seeing is qualified leads where I need to have that initial pre-appointment call with them. Right. So you are the one you, Max, are the one who uh, who takes that pre-appointment call that. So all of those, all those other things happen. And then you are the one who personally takes that pre-appointment call. Yep. Why are you doing that? And I, I'm not trying to lead. I'm just going to say why I think I could just even tell from your, your, your podcast, the way, the way you work, the different things you've done that just building that relationship is so absolutely Mm -hmm. crucial. I'm just going to answer the question for you because it is so evident from your personality, so evident from just the way you come across on your YouTube channels and everything else that establishing that you is that first point of contact and building that trust, building Mm -hmm. that rapport, building that, that information gathering together and building that trust. I really think that serves you incredibly well in your business. I appreciate it. And, And that's, that's it. It's twofold. So one, I want to introduce myself to the customer and really get real boiled down to see if I can really solve a problem before I waste my time and their time going to their house. And then I also establish that rapport with them. And now we're going. I say, hey, you've talked to my associates. They've they've got you here. I'm the guy that's going to come to your house. Let's just have a quick conversation. And now, okay, great. The appointment's tomorrow at two. I'll see you tomorrow at two. So I was still that bottleneck. Yep. I, I was still that bottleneck, but I didn't have to do all these other things. So now my time is spent real carefully on generate uh, revenue generating activities. Yep. I am now, I only do the things that generate revenue, which is now going on these appointments and getting these contracts. Okay. So now you have, you, you've got four people in your business. You have somebody that's dealing with the data while you're mm-hmm. sleeping. You have somebody who is making outbound calls for you, mm-hmm. basically generating leads. Mm-hmm. You have somebody who is taking inbound calls, so somebody who is is doing the, the lead follow-up. Mm-hmm. And you, you're taking appointments there and actually go. negotiating deals. So we've got four people in your business right now. You're doing, it sounds like, a whole lot more transactions, touches, lead generation tasks with a whole lot less of your time. Correct. So you're, so you're heading in the right direction here. Yeah. So I'm utilizing, I'm, I'm taking advantage of the U.S. currency with the great workers and the great work ethic that people have in the Philippines. And I am now maximizing my dollar and finding great employees at the same time. So How much while, are you paying them? Um, so each one is a base salary of around 2 to 220 a week. Right. Which is double the the salary of an average person that works in the Philippines call center for an American company. 
That's awesome. Win-win. So we pay great and we do bonuses as well. So now I'm consistently doing twenty dollars or $30,000 a month and I have a team, but I also have some freedom at this time now. That's nice. So now I have to do CEO 30,000 foot level stuff. I need to figure out how can I go out and spend time in the evenings between five and seven and meet new buyers? What, what networking events can I go to? Versus crunching data at night, what networking events can I go to and meet new buyers and find out what they like and find out what they don't like? And that's what I was doing. Excellent. Generate more and more and more. So what other networking things are you doing in addition to physically going out? For example, I know uh, we talked a little bit about your YouTube channel. You talked a mm-hmm. little bit, bit about your vlog, which I still have the hardest time saying that vlog. Me vlog, too. Right? Who came up with vlog? <laughs> it's not a real word. Vlog. You get the merch and you smash the <laughs> like button and all that. It's just fascinating to me. This whole new crazy world. I love it. But what are some of those other things that you're doing from to, to really build that brand even more, to take on that 30,000 um, high level view, to really be the CEO, to really grow your business? What are those things that you're spending your time on now instead of answering the calls and crunching the data and all the stuff that you did back in the day when you were first growing? That's a great question. So one of uh, a person that I look up to and have for four years now is, is Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually just had him speak at my event, which is like crazy that, awesome. that can happen in a very short amount of time. But Gary talks about building a brand for yourself. So I actually brand me more than I brand my company. So that whatever I decide to do, I am the brand. So whether I want to sell peanut butter and jelly sandwiches tomorrow or I want to keep doing real estate, the brand follows me. So, you know, just just uh, building your personal brand and becoming that authority figure is is important to going out and finding. Uh, it's actually helped me find a lot of cash buyers, people that trust me and see my work ethic visually and hear it. They know that I'm trustworthy by listening to me and following me. It's helped me get some of the best employees that I can because they trusted my brand. They believe in me. So building that personal brand is is a big side, a big uptick of uh, growing your actual business. I started hosting free meetups. I started telling people locally in my community how to do the same thing I was doing. And a lot of guys are like, you're creating competition. No, you're seeing it wrong. You look at the big, big picture. I'm creating an army of people that are willing to learn and may even come to me and bring me deals. Absolutely. And uh, that's how you look at it, you know? So, and we've, we've done deals. I'm doing a deal tomorrow, making like 25,000 with somebody that is locally in my market. That great. So you're out there and it's just all self-perpetuating, right? You're keeping, you're keeping yourself out in front of people. You're, you're helping people learn how to do this on their own. You're changing lives. Mm Mm-hmm. And in return, and it's it's a byproduct, but it all just works very organically, right? It's just people are people continue feeding you deals. So it's like you're putting good stuff out there, good stuff's coming back to you, and it just mm-hmm. keeps growing and snowballing and becoming bigger and better. Tell us more about your conference that you just had. So I set a goal this year to put on a conference, the largest wholesaling conference, right? There's so many conferences about like apartment buying, uh, single family rentals. And I wanted to do something big. I wanted to put on the largest wholesaling conference, not just because of, just to say I did the largest, but what would it feel like if we had 1,200 wholesalers, like-minded individuals in a hotel for three days? And just the atmosphere it created, we created new family members. We created all types of things where, I mean, we now, you can now go back to your perspective area where you live, but you now have a family of 1,200 individuals across the country that are in the same thing as you. So we did that event uh, two and a half, three days, and we had Gary uh, V as the uh, the keynote speaker, uh, which was awesome. And we just met people and changed some lives and p- showed people how this works and and really helped people scale their current business as well, too. So fun. Congratulations. Sounds like a huge success. Yeah. Awesome. So you now have a business. Um, I know your goal was $100,000 per month and you're doing that. Mm-hmm. You have, again, your your data person, you have inbound, uh, outbound mm-hmm. person. You now have somebody who handles your your acquisitions and your dispositions. So uh, actually working with buyers and sellers. Yep. So how do you decide where to spend your time in the business? What do you How do you decide what the highest and best use of your time is? The highest and best time for, for what I did. So I, I recently hired my older brother as my COO so I can spend more time on the road and out 
doing things and, and, and generating and meeting people. My goal is not to be the biggest wholesaler in the state or this country. It's not, it's just not, it does, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. So I want to grow a billion dollar company. And only way I can do that is going out and meeting other people. Now it's going to be in the real estate field, of course, but I need to go out as a CEO and be able to generate more things, learn. So I go to conferences to learn so I can bring that back to my team so we can grow what we have. Just a, uh, it's, it's just a snowball. So my job is to make sure I get all the outside fluence and bring it into my company and grow something, finding new partnerships, finding people that I can partner with to create things. Being in this business for a short time, not even three years, I see a lot of technology that needs to be developed. And I've linked with developers to where we created a business, to where we're creating softwares and we're creating tools that help real estate investors across the world. And so that's, so I, out of, out of wholesaling, the ATM machine, I've been able to create passive income. I've been able to actively go out and start new businesses. It's my vehicle to being an entrepreneur where I really have four businesses now just from learning how to wholesale. That's awesome. That is fantastic. One, I, I want to touch on, on one more thing is, um, I feel is, I was talking a little bit about just your building rapport and your relationship mm-hmm. building and so, fo- and, and so on and so forth that has been so successful in your business. And I think, I, I think another one of those, uh, when we were asking about the things in which you spend your time is it's just the whole, your whole art of negotiation. And of course, that's a little bit near and dear to our hearts because we just, we just recently released our book on negotiating real estate, but awesome. I got to read it. I sent it to you. You could write the book. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? So we were, as we were, you know, watching some of your videos and so on, absolutely. I want want you to talk, uh, you know, near the end of this, I want you to tell people where they can go to watch them. It is absolutely awesome how you document yourself on YouTube doing Mm -hmm. full on negotiations so that you can see, uh, so that people can see how that really works and really the art of negotiation and the skill behind it. Where I want to know, where did that come from? How did you become such a good negotiator? Did it grow organically? Did you have a specific experience that led you to become a good negotiator? Is it, is it trial and error or what is it? What, I mean, what tips, whatever, tell, tell these listeners something about negotiation, why it's important in your business, a tip, whatever, because you are a stellar rock star at it. So <laughs> I, I let appreciate them know. that. It did not come overnight. It's something that is really trial and error. You learn some. So sales is pretty much the same across any industry. There's some very principal key foundations, uh, you know, like listening more than you speak, um, really trying to hear the customer, try to solve a problem. Those are some key foundations of what it is. And then you also got to have a hard line. Never be desperate when you're selling or buying anything, right? And, and when you are desperate, it shows, it smells in people, it makes you very vulnerable. So, and, and be honest, if, if the numbers just don't work, it don't work. And people can appreciate that, that, hey, look, great house, uh, just way too much for me. I mean, I can do this, but there's no way I can do this. And I respect that. But negotiation takes time. I I say put yourself and learn some key principles. And it can be you can learn how to sell cars or you learn how to go door to door for AT&T or whoever, whatever companies you want. But learning some key principles and then really being a people person like it is the difference of winning the deal is literally trying to understand what this person's objective is. What are they really trying to get out of this negotiation? You're solving a problem. That's it. What is the problem? Can I meet you somewhere? Can we let's solve the problem that you actually want? And a lot of people say, "Hey, look, I want a hundred thousand dollars for my house." Why? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Right? And then you start to break down the problem, and then you get to the underlying thing as well. You know, I need a new car, and I want to get a, a boat. Okay, what type of car? What type of boat? And these, and then you start to realize, well, you, you don't need a hundred; you need fifty. All you really need. Let's get so you let what me, you want. Let's get you what you want. And I'll give you a place. I got a guy who'll get it for you. And, and you're making the negotiation about them. It's not about you. Too many people go into negotiations with this attitude. I want, I need, I'm going to get. It's not about you. No. If you give the other side what they want, what they need, what 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 they're going to get, it'll come back to you. You'll get what you want, but you need to focus mm-hmm. on them. People like things to be about them. And if you go in with that attitude give me what I want, that's going to come through. So you go in with the attitude, I want to give you what you want. 
And that's that that'll 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 be paid off in reciprocation. And and never be afraid to walk away. Absolutely. Always walk away. That's it. Walk away. Just walk. And they always come back. Funny how that happens, right? Exactly. That's what really I say. Really does. It. Really does. So what do you think, Jay? Is it time to do four more? I think we're going to do the four more. So Max Maxwell, we have four more questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So what was the worst job you ever had and what lessons did you learn from that job? Oh, man. The worst job I ever had. It was a combination, right? So this is going to be a sound little cliche. I think the worst job I ever had was United States Air Force. Really? Thank you for your service, by wow, the way. Wow, thank you. But I enjoyed it. And is, does that make sense? And that's what I'm saying. It is does, it. right? It's that double-edged dichotomy thing going on. Yep. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the travel. I love the people I met. I love the lessons that learned me. But man, was it a terrible job. You know, jumping out of things, getting shot at, shooting things. They ain't really that great of a job. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at it that way. But it was, it was fun. And, and you did that one for everybody else, not yourself. Correct. There, we, there thank you you, we thank you for that. So my question is, what is the defining moment where you realize that you really had an entrepreneurial itch? I think when I started, when I got jobs that I thought I wanted, um, when I got out of the military, I was turning down offers from other companies because I had a top secret security clearance. I I was I was leaving like a twenty four twenty five thousand dollar year job and turning down sixty sixty five thousand dollar jobs to ch- try something, and I think that's when I realized that okay, I left this military for a reason. Let me fail my way to success, and um, really being on the job and seeing the problems. If you ever worked in corporate, you see problems that you just want to solve and you can't be quiet about it. And you go to your managers and the upper level and they're like, shut up and you can't. So it's frustrating and you have to leave because you can't sit and watch the problem just manifest in front of you. So Max, there's a lot of bad advice that I hear in the real estate world and the business world. So can you give me an example of some of the worst advice you've been given or that you've heard uh, from other people with your real estate business or your, or your business in general and how you would correct that advice? There's a few, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I think people misinterpret the fake it till you make it model. Love that. Yes. It's it. People take it as into like literally fake uh, your presence or what people think of you. It, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean look like success before you were success. It means believe you are successful before you were successful. Do the things that successful people do prior to you getting there and faking it and uh, believing that you are there already. So when you have a conversation with somebody, you show that confidence of that you believe you're there. And it's, so this faking it till you make it. It's not saying go buy a Mercedes because that's what the top realtors drive or it's not what the top sales guys drive that. It's more of believing in yourself, faking it, like understanding, say yes. Say yes more than you say no is believing uh, and, and faking it till you make it. I love that. My book. I love That's that. a really good one. Really good one. And then I have the fourth question. What is something, Max, that you've splurged on, but it was totally worth it? Mm, a Lamborghini. Really? What? What kind yeah. of Lamborghini? Uh, Huracan. Uh, my, nice. my, ten, my nine-year-old's going to be very, very jealous. <laughs> what color is it? Black. Sweet. And I don't even talk about it. That's awesome. It's, even it, it was something that was on my wall as a kid. And it was something where I wanted to get it. And it was nothing to do with, I want to get it to show it off because you don't, nobody sees it. It's not on Instagram. It's not anywhere. And it's just, it's just there because I always wanted it. I don't care if nobody ever knows I own it. I just wanted that. And that's great. We all need those, those signs are those reminders to ourselves that we've worked hard, we've earned it. And it's a good reminder that you need to get up tomorrow and you have to keep going. Because the day you stop doing that until you've generated that that cash flowing machine that's passive income, until that day, that car can go away or the next car is not going to come. So it's, it's- It's a very dumb purchase. I mean, I could have bought a, a performing asset, but it was- I was just, Something I had to get rid of that itch. For you. Good for I you. got rid of the itch. <laughs> Good for you. Okay. So, so that was the four. And so here's the more question. Where can people find out more about you? You know, I am, I'm all over the place. I'm very active on YouTube. I just hit 100,000 subscribers. I'm on Instagram. Uh, just search Max Maxwell. 
There's a few of us out there, but I, I pop up first on YouTube, on Instagram and all those other places. Go follow me, please. Uh, you know, tell me that you you followed me from this this uh, this podcast we're doing here. And I'll I like to respond to everybody when I'm on flights. But I just like to give because the, the information that we have to us now, yes, it's readily available, but a lot of people still don't know that. So I'm trying to help other people change their family tree, like how I've changed mine. And you can you don't have to be in love with real estate or entrepreneur, but get do it so you can get what you actually want to do. You might you might get into real estate just so you can start your nonprofit, you know, whatever it is. But go out and change your family tree because it's up to us to to do that and and nobody else. That's phenomenal. Max, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been absolutely awesome talking with you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Max. We really appreciate it. And that is our show today. Carol Scott, what do you think? I really loved talking to Max. I thought he just had great energy and such a powerful message about when he was able to systematize his business to grow. That way he's able to teach other people to do the same. So ultimately they can change their lives as well. And when you think about it, that's really what we're all trying to do over here at Bigger Pockets. It's a great thing. So anyway, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Can't wait to see you next time. Have a great week, everybody. 